A high school t-shirt venture came to manage over 500 million in dealership ad dollars. All right, this is crazy. Today, I'm speaking with David Wren, the co-founder and CEO of Stream Companies, a fully integrated advertising and marketing agency that serves car dealerships. We discuss the size and scale behind dealership marketing budgets, how AI will impact car buying, whether or not those gimmicky dealership mailers actually work, my personal biggest marketing regret, and much more. What's up, everyone? This is Car Dealership Guy. You're listening to the Car Dealership Guy podcast, which is my effort to give you access to the most unbiased and transparent insights into the car market. But before we dive into the show, this episode is brought to you by CDK Global. CDK Global has been empowering nearly 15,000 dealers with the tools and technology they need to build deeper relationships with customers. Their team is keenly aware of the state of dealership technology. And while many vendors promise seamless experiences between your CRM, DMS, digital retail, and fixed ops, most of these bolt-on solutions tend to break workflows and cause more harm than good. That is why CDK has launched a new dealership experience platform. This new integrated software consists of everything you need to operate a dealership efficiently while delivering an unparalleled experience to your customers. Basically, everything working together, not separate, one system to run your dealership as opposed to 10. CDK developed it with an outside-in approach, listening to dealers every step of the way. You can learn more about CDK's dealership experience platform by visiting cdkglobal.com DXP or clicking the link in the show notes below. This episode is also brought to you by Stream Companies. I'd like to thank Stream for coming on as a guest and also supporting this podcast. In 1998, we had made a decision to, of course, advertise. So we put an ad in the yellow pages. And one day, um, we were sitting in the office and got a phone call from a gentleman named Dale Petrovich for radio and metropolitan communications, local businesses. And he was a Motorola two-way radio dealer. And he needed to write a marketing plan to be able to sell this new product Motorola was offering called Telerio. Dale was a bootstrapped through the business, didn't go to college, and he had no idea. So he picked up the yellow pages, gave us a ring. We actually went up to his office that day, met with Dale and one of his general managers, and he hired us on the spot. He was the first client to ever put us on a retainer, and that was in 1998. So we started out doing work with, with Dale. We actually put, funny enough, put his business on TV, local cable TV, and I re- met a TV rep who introduced me to my first car dealership in 1998. What was it like? I mean, what are you even selling to car dealers in 19? Were you selling websites yet? No. So the funny enough, like dealers were just getting email addresses in 1998. Some dealers didn't even have, have websites. I mean, it was just starting. So we were selling, we were designing newspaper ads, designing and, and mailing direct mailers and producing TV commercials and buying local spots on, on cable. Wow. And how big were you at this point? It was just, it was Jason and I. So this was, this was 98 <laughs> and got our first dealership. And this was a small, small dealer in Pennsylvania. He was spending $25,000, $30,000 a month. So we were like, wow, there's a lot more money in dealership ad spend than the two-way radios or doctors or anything like that. So that was our like first taste of understanding the auto auto business and how at that it was really and like antiquated at that point they weren't even tracking you know the phone calls they were getting from the newspaper ads or the direct mailers what does stream do today what do you what do you do like what are all the different services you offer we are a fully integrated 
agency from strategy, media buying, digital, creative, soup to nuts. That's really our, our sweet spot is working with dealers, dealer groups, and the publics, helping them execute and develop their go-to-market strategy. You clearly see tons of dealerships, their marketing budgets, their spends. Given all the inventory craziness that we've seen in the last couple of years, like what have you seen shift in the way dealers are deploying marketing dollars? Yeah, I think that just to, to kind of go, rewind a little bit, dealers started to really lean heavily into, into digital pre-COVID. But as COVID hit, really, you saw traditional media budgets decline even more and more and more dollars get shifted into, into performance media, paid search, paid social, the endemics, things, things like that. So historically, pre-COVID, it was probably 60 to 70% digital and the, and the other spends traditional. But really, that's pivoted where many cases, we don't have any dealers running any type of traditional advertising. Wow. But has, has any of that reverted in the last you know, year or so? Yeah, definitely. And I think we'll see kind of more happen even even more in 2024. Our perspective is making sure that our clients have a good mix of both awareness, performance, and retention. Again, I think retention is often overlooked in this this business. We we spend so much dollars driving demand, but we forget to retain the traffic that we're driving and the customers we are already have. So I think that awareness has kind of been a forgotten part of the advertising mix. And well, our most successful dealers never stopped their, their awareness adver- advertising, even during COVID. Interesting. And like, what is that? Like, what is that? Give, give us some examples. Like, what is that awareness advertising that you're seeing? Yeah. Uh, it, depending on this, the, the market, right? It could be, we've got big dealers in big, big metros that sell hundreds, if not thousands of cars a month. So they'll run broadcast TV, radio, cable TV. Really, those are the, the bigger dealers with the bigger budgets. When you look at, like when, when a dealer approaches you, and I'm trying to put myself in their shoes, like they're coming to you like, hey, I have X amount of dollars to deploy. How do you figure out, again, the, cons- the attention of the consumer is shifting so quickly from different platforms and wh- where are we consuming content? Like where, where is that attention? So how, how are you balancing that for now dealers nowadays, especially when two years ago, you could, if you had a car in the lot, it sold. You don't even need to advertise, right? And I can imagine that hurt your your dealer spend. But how are you then balancing today where consumer attention is shifting so rapidly, making sure that you're channeling those de- dealers' dollars in the right direction? Yeah, that's a great question. So first off, if if we've got a, a new potential client that's reached out to us, um, it's really understanding the market that they're in, the, the brand that they're selling, uh, what does the competitive landscape look like What's their sales penetration? What's their share by zip code for their brand that they sell? And then also what's the competitive you know, mix for, for makes and models that they compete against? So we really want to understand what the market you know, looks like. And then we look at what's the consumer look like in that market as, as well. What's the, the demographics? What's the income? Those types of things. Before we even put a budget together, we want to have all, all of that information. And then also... What is, what is the inventory, right? Do, do they have the inventory? What is our go-to-market go to in terms of simple, going back to your college days of marketing of like the five Ps, right? We've got to have the product. We've got to make sure the dealers are pricing the product to market, to be competitive. And then we look at things like, what's the, 
What's the promotion? And then the placement. How, where are we going to be able to, if we're going to go in awareness, whether it's broadcast TV or cable TV or radio, do we have the funds to get the right reach and frequency to stand out from the competition and, and the noise in, in general? So that goes into all those recommendations. And then we look at what the, what the digital competitive landscape looks like. What's, what's the competition on Google look like? Are we you know, getting enough visibility within search? What's converting from a keyword perspective? Really get down into the details to put the dollars to work for the dealership so that we can drive enough opportunities to do business to reach the, the sales goals. And then the sales goals really help us build out an appropriate budget for sure. Yeah, so you take clearly a very analytical approach, which I think is smart. Can you give us an overview of your scale, number of dealers, whatever numbers you can kind of go so we can contextualize to scale of your business? We're at about almost 700 employees. So our scale is pretty immense. And we've we built the company to move at the speed of, of retail. I think that's that's super important for our, our clients, right? That includes having people that work on the weekends, because if a, a client needs something changed on the website, a new slide, or has an issue with a, a vehicle price the wrong way or just needs help, we have people that are available on the weekend. So we've built the business to really be able to support our, our dealer clients, as well as our OEM partners. We've got 20 plus OEM partnerships. Our internal core values are one hour response, 24 hour resolution to really meet the needs of our clients. Before we started the podcast, you were talking to me a little bit about some of your clients. You work with some national clients. How do two guys from Eastern Pennsylvania expand their business to take on? And please, I mean, if if you if you can name them yourself, I'd love for you to name some of your clients. But how do you do that? How did you scale that from Eastern PA all the way, you know, national to some of the largest dealer groups in in the world? Frankly, how did you do that? A car dealership guy. I think first and foremost, when that dealer. His name was Bill, Bill Latch. We st- still run it, running that store. It was sold. But which store gave, is this? Which store is uh, this? It was called Courtesy Chrysler Jeep in, in Thorndale, PA. It was our, our first auto. That client. was your first store. Got it. Yep. And what what Bill gave us, which some of our other clients, and I'll talk a little about them in a second, was the opportunity to learn the business. Like I didn't know in 1998, didn't know anything about the, the, the car business. But Jason my, and myself, Again, being curious, lifelong learners took this opportunity to really understand the business. Like I'm talking how to read a financial statement, how what are all the profit centers in, in the in the dealership, what are all the opportunities coming in, whether it's sales, sales call, service call, parts call, how do we help our dealers holistically run their business in a smarter way? And I think by really entrenching ourselves in the business uh, allowed us to start to make a name for for ourselves. And again, through through the network of dealers, talk to dealers, we we really started to build out a nice auto business. And then I would say our big our biggest opportunity, kind of what really hit set us to the next stage of the business was a woman who's since passed who is a is a mentor and great friend of mine, Julie Tozo, family owned Lynn's Auto Group in North Jersey. And at the time they had four or five dealerships and we're spending five, six million dollars a year on on advertising. Super competitive market. 
Julie interviewed eight agencies and she just loved Jason and I's fresh perspective on looking at the auto business in a, in a different way. So we made it to the finals uh, between us and another agency, ended up coming out on top. And that was in 2002. So, and that was really the next stage of our business of really learning what high volume stores look like in competitive markets. I mean, we were spending $100,000 a month in the Star Ledger at, at that time, getting 1,000 phone calls a month off of our, our newspaper ad. So that was really, I guess, really, we got our master's in automotive working, working with the Tozo family and just really understanding the, the business and how to deal with, with a multi-generation family dealership. So it was a, a big life lesson and there were 20 plus year clients of, of ours. So that was a huge not only a huge business opportunity, but it really taught us a lot about the business. It seems to me like you focused on one by one, kind of brick by brick compounding here. Based on based on what you're describing, one store at a time. I mean, again, you've been around for quite a while. And I want to get into how you reinvented yourself in a second. But I think that's correct me if I'm wrong, that seems to have been your strategy here, like really compounding over many years. It, it really is. And I think it was like provide a great service, be partners to our clients taking calls any any time of the day. And really, again, our work spoke for itself. And we we took that opportunity. And like you said, we laid the, the next couple bricks. Julie introduced us to a gentleman named Ed Carden, who was on the National Dealer Council for Nissan. He was a general manager at, at that time with Cherry Hill Nissan. Ed now owns 10 plus stores with his business partners. Again, still a client of, of ours. So really that brick by brick, and then got introduced through big dealer group in long term, still a client of ours, again, a mentor, Fred Beans got introduced to Fred through his internal agency at that point. And then Fred decided to make the change, dissolve the internal his internal agency and roll it into stream. So again, we've had amazing partners and clients that have taught us and mentored us and really helped us grow, grow the business brick by brick. Tell me more about like present day dealership numbers. What are dealers right now paying on average to acquire customers? Most of our clients are very focused on what their PRU is. So how much they're spending per, per unit on advertising. We've got clients that are spending anywhere from $250 a unit to some dealers that are super aggressive with some of the OEM programs have more co-ops. So they could be spending six, $700 a unit depending on their co-op programs and how much money they're earning in co-op. Yeah. So just to just to simplify that, if I'm spending $100,000 a month and I sell 200 cars, I spent $500 per unit. That's the math you're going by, right? By per That's sold correct. unit. Yep. Got it. So you're saying the lowest you're seeing is about 250. Yeah. And that was a dip below 200 in some cases during, during COVID. And I would say pre-COVID, it was probably closer to 350 to 400 a unit. On the low when, end. When, when you see players in the industry like Carvana or other upstarts that in some cases in a new market may spend you know thousands per unit, and I, I don't know what's the latest numbers, but I know that it used to be at a certain point over 5,000 a unit. Again, I'm going way back now, right? They've obviously come a long way and I don't want to pick on Carvana. There's plenty of other examples, but what, what's the thought that goes through your mind as, as a practitioner, right? someone that does this? How do you kind of reconcile that? 
Yeah, I, I think that it was Carvana had a different model, right, than the than the franchise dealer. They were going for how do they get market share, how do they build, how do they build a brand and and brand recognition. So they they were spending, like you said, over five thousand dollars a unit. So really gets hard to compete in terms of when they open their Philly location and they're pouring fifty million dollars or, or however much into a market. You don't want to go to fight with Carvana on on TV, right? So I think it's, again, that's about understanding the media landscape and making sure that we're putting our dealers' dollars to work. But for the most part, Carvana was never like something that our clients were focused on and like, oh, how do I compete against them? It was always more, how do I compete for my fair share of the brand that I'm selling? And you know, how do I conquest new vehicles? If I'm a Toyota dealer, how do I make sure I'm beating the Honda and, and Nissan dealer in my market? Yeah. No, I, I think you made a good point. Like I was thinking about how do you compete with that when you're a dealer that's spending, you know, a tenth or can spend a tenth of that, which sort of leads me to my next question, which is, do you think that from a marketing perspective, like top of funnel, do you think that there's an embedded advantage to being a local dealer nowadays? Or do you think that the advantage lies with the national chains, the national groups? regardless of the fact that they're maybe not as ingrained locally into their communities, but having that national brand is more powerful. Where are you on those two schools of thought? Yeah, I mean, just I think from our perspective in our lens that dealers are rooted in the local community. Even even the dealerships that are, you know, publicly owned that that have a that that don't have a unified name are still very much ingrained in their communities and their their household names in in their markets and they give back to the the local schools, the local hospitals, the local charities, which I think plays a, an advantage, right? Because they're impacting the local uh, economy and they're creating local jobs. So from my perspective, the the dealer is so important to the local economy and also the national economy, right? We the industry employs a tremendous amount of people, not only in the dealerships, but all the ancillary products and services and media that gets rooted into the, the economic ecosystem impacts our economy. I always, I always say how dealerships go is how the economy goes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. How much budget are you managing today? Like if I'm trying to compare this to like financial industry, like, do you have a number? Like, can you give us a perspective of like, what is that budget number that you're today managing at Stream? Yeah, it's 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 over a half billion dollars that we're we're managing for the the tier three and some of our tier one one clients. So it's come a long ways since Jason and I, my mom's living room. Yeah, I can imagine. Is there a specific channel that you're directing most of that budget? Like, can you say like, hey, this is like disproportionately our fastest growing yeah, channel? Yeah, there there is, and it's it's the channel that none of us really want to direct <laughs> direct it to. But no, I think it's the channel that drives the most amount of traffic and they've done a great job of working into the OEM ecosystem, the dealer ecosystem. So if you look at it... So what's the channel? One second. What's what's the channel? I was going to say, yeah, if you look at most of the budgets, I mean, paid search is the highest, highest amount of, of on, on pretty much every budget. You put us on a cliffhanger on that one. Yeah. <laughs> And I do think that that's starting to shift, right? Because it's that is ecosystem has gotten so competitive, so outlandish with how how budgets are managed and new products that are being 
put out there. But if we took a look, if I just pulled up 100 random budgets, I would say 98 of them paid search would be the highest channel spent. Wow. And is there is there a distinction from franchise dealer to independent dealer when it comes to that? Or would you say it's pretty similar? We don't have a ton of independent independent dealers. But again, I would say maybe the independents might be heavier on the endemics, right? Like they might be playing with with all all the endemics where, you know, what's endemics? The cars.com, auto trader, car gurus, Carfax. Talk about that. Like what, what are your thoughts on third party listing sites? There's been a lot of chatter in the dealer community for various reasons, whether it be pricing increases from certain vendors, dealers listing fake prices on certain platforms, like all, all this together. What would, Are you a believer in the third-party listing yeah, site still? Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, again, looking at the data, right? Because we want to put our, our clients in the best position to win each and every month. Again, it goes market by market, but the third-party sites do do perform. So we just especially when, when COVID happened, right? And new car supply went down and dealers were, were, were living off of used cars and, and used car volume, it was even more important to make sure that you had a presence across at, at least two, if not three of, of, of the third-party sites. But I think now as the used car market has changed dramatically, that we've got clients that are saying, hey, do I need to be on all of them? Which ones are performing best? Help me look at my spend and again, make sure that it's balanced from new car to used car and I'm not disproportioned, right? We've seen a lot of clients that are newer to to stream now come on board and their budgets are upside down. They're still very much heavily focused on used while their new car supply is growing. So we're really trying to help them make sure that they've got the right balance. It never made sense to me how like when things were slower, where people would run to cut budgets because it feels like a death spiral. We were like, I was always in the school of thought where you either keep it steady or maybe you even increase a, a little bit. Yeah. So your, your cost per acquisition goes up a little bit, but you're still making a profitable sale. Go ahead. So I have a great case study. I, I actually texted the dealer and a friend of mine, the Vaughns, Sean Vaughn, Toyota Bernie in the suburbs of San Antonio. And Sean is super aggressive. So we put the, pedal to the metal with the advertising and talk about just seeing the overall impact of that dealership and what they've been able to accomplish since COVID through through up to today has been remarkable. So you talk about dealers that have really, some that have leaned in and like you said, tur- turned, it, turned it up. He's gained market share and really put more units in operation, which again, turns into more service, customer pay dollars, more warranty work, and then the, the key thing is more repeat customers down the line. When you say turned it up, what, what does that actually mean? Like cost per acquisition? Or as you, you said, what was the term you used? PRU? Per- yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what is that? Is that like over $1,000 per unit? No, no. Like- and, and I think what was really cool to see in that case was we did spend more and sales went up. So the PRU actually stayed stayed in, in balance for, for that dealership. But he was... They were not afraid to go after it, right? Like, well, one, they were in a market. Texas was very much of a friendly state when it came to how things were handled during COVID for, for car dealers. So by you know, having a great team, because he's got a great team and very effective advertising, it, it sets, sets up for not just success then, but for future success. 
I think one of my biggest regrets is I, I think it was around 2013 or 14 when Facebook marketing was still like very nascent within the car business. And at least in, in our region, we were probably the only independent that were doing it in non-traditional ways, sort of advertising or showing experiences, not necessarily like showing an ad, but actually just showing a video of a customer or something. And I think we were spending, in hindsight, it was like $100 or so customer acquisition cost like per per unit. And now I look back and I'm like, oh my goodness, how did we not like juice that thing to the max and bring every single customer in the area to buy a car? Because it's it's so funny how you have this opportunity under your nose. And I didn't know back then, we didn't know. But now I look back and I'm like, oh my God, those were the glory days, at least for for some form of social media marketing. Yeah, no, I, I think that when when you're you have a first mover advantage, right? And like I said, it goes back why I see some of those budgets switching back to traditional because it's less competitive. Same thing there, right? Like social was not many dealers were on it. They weren't using it effectively and um, they weren't being memorable. So I, I still think that in some cases, there's an opportunity with, with social, but I think you, we both know it's, again, because the advertising has become such a big part of it, a whole ecosystem has changed from 13 to where we are now. Do you have, we were talking about listing side, do you have like a, a favorite listing side for, for whatever reason? I mean, do, is there one that you specifically think performs the best for your dealers? I mean, again, it, go, it goes market, market by market. Uh, and some of our, you know, dealers that go back to when cars.com had the relationships with the newspapers, some of those cars.com markets perform really well for, for our dealers. And then there's markets where car gurus is just performs the lowest cost per lead, all, all those types of metrics that we help our, our dealers manage. So you're saying it really depends on really depends on the dealer in the region. It really does too, right? And then it also depends on how the dealer is pricing their inventory to market. Are they competitive? Are they overpriced? I mean, just if you're overpriced, you know, tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, we need more leads. Yeah, lower the prices. You're gonna get more leads. Oh, right. That's the that that, yeah, that that's that's the the battle. You know, retail automotive advertising and retail automotive is not for the faint of heart, right? Because you need to be able to have those conversations with with your client. It's never one thing. Yeah. There's so many ways to game the system. So we we post a lot on Instagram. And the other day, I noticed that <laughs> when you post on Instagram, you can add it to your story. And the Instagram team changed the button where it's supposed to be added to the story. And they made it into their new app, right? The Threads app. And so now every time you go to just muscle memory, like post something to your story, you actually enter their new app. So the first, the only thing that goes to my mind, like thinking about like no, no different than operating a dealership is someone is in Instagram right now trying to game the system so hard and get their metrics up, right? They're like, oh yeah, we just need more leads. And they're just, just made one little switch and like they just completely just obliterated the entire, all their numbers out of the park. It's so far. Yeah, every dealership needs more leads and more ups. You mentioned traditional media where you've seen that falling, but do you do you still believe in like radio ads, TV? Like, are those too expensive for dealers to justify? Like, am I going to get a three hundred dollar cost per acquisition on something like that? How do you think about that? Yeah, I, I again, it goes back to understanding the dealership, the market, the positioning that they're in. I I do believe in certain dealers that have the market has the demand for the vehicle that they sell that traditional plays 
an important part of the, the awareness, right? I think that we've gotten, as an industry, we've got so hooked on performance media and last click attribution that we want to give credit to, to the digital metrics, but we forget we're all consumers, right? And we consume content you know, through, the, through, through screens, right? Whether it's the TV screen, the laptop, the iPhone. So we still need to connect with our potential customers and provide them with a message and a story of why come buy from the local dealership. And I think that does still have an impact and it's changed as well, right? It's not just traditional TV. I can buy ads on Hulu. I can buy ads on Amazon. I can buy ads on all connected TV. So the, the landscape of, of media consumption has changed and I can you know, spend more money on quote unquote TV, but it doesn't have to be on broadcast or cable. It can be targeted at a zip code level using my first party data and my audiences to really hone in on the right customer with the right message. So one thing that hasn't changed, but I, that I've personally never done is like those like credit card campaigns or the keys. We've, we've all received them in the mail where you get like that fake credit card or the key or come spin the wheel, you're going to win the lottery. What's the deal with those? Like, are you, do, do those really, really work? Are you still seeing dealers use them? What's your thought? Yeah, I, I, I don't, uh, not off the top of my head have we done, I mean, we've done them in the past for sure. I, I don't know that we've done any. How, how well do they work? I mean, for the right markets, they do work, right? They, they drive, tra- they drive traffic and, Listen, I'm connected in the industry with you know different people that run staffed events that use those mailers to drive thousand ups over a couple day period. So in some cases they work. With with new car inventory levels the last couple of years, we we haven't been using kind of any of that type of mail to drive drive traffic. The last couple of years have been about vehicle acquisition, right? How do we buy vehicles from our customers, whether it's a lease return? Or it's a third car they had in the driveway and didn't didn't need a third car you know, during COVID. How do we help our clients acquire vehicles? I had another gentleman in the podcast a while back, and I was asking about the like all these like tried and true marketing tactics that seem so like dumb on the outside, but actually convert. And I think we were we were talking about call to actions on a website, and and how like. The sad part is that it actually converts when there's like five or 10 call to actions. So Car, car dealership guy, we got, we've got a product on the... So we've got Stream and we've got a, another business, Full Throttle, which runs 100% independently of, of Stream. We've got a product called Nitro Leads. So if you went to some of our OEM tier one websites, some of the... Tier, it's, it's like an e-coupon, right? And we do test drive offers. We do incentive offers. And when I tell you it's the best converting thing, I'm talking on tier one OEM sites, dealer websites, and many people are like, oh, this is just a distraction. But we've A-B tested it and it it works and you know is a big driver of not just incremental leads, but incremental sales for for the dealers and the OEMs. So yeah, man. Human nature. Human nature doesn't change much. So it's Listen, doesn't, but I doesn't think if you me. look at it, you go if you look at most of the, the the retailers right now, right? Like the consumers have been trained to give their information on those those pop-ups. Like go to go to a Hugo Boss or go to a Gap or whatever, and you go in there and they're do you want the 10% off? 
give us your email. Yeah. And then I, I, I always do those. You're actually right. But I'll tell you one thing. I'm I'm very meticulous. Like I right away unsubscribe afterwards. <laughs> I'll take my coupon. No, but there's there's a new thing though now, right? Now they want you to subscribe email and then they also want you to confirm by text. Yeah. So I think in some ways as marketers, we tra- we train the consumer, right? To if we give the information, we get value. So I do think that's why I think, like you said, those silly things, they they do work because the consumer's conditioned to do it. Yeah. And like you said, it's 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 a trade, right? You you get value in, in exchange for information. So that's why it that's why it works. I, I want to shift gears for a second. One topic that's obviously very hot is just AI and everything going on with the opportunities with AI and dealership marketing. Are you doing anything on this front? Are you seeing any dealers implementing AI in any badass ways? Yeah, we've we've got a couple clients that are that are are using AI for things like identifying service opportunities and again going back to how do we help find the right the right audiences. So we're definitely on the full throttle side. We have AI built into our our platform to help identify the best in market audiences for for dealers and other agencies and OEMs to, to market to those customers. So we're scoring them in real time buying pers- propensity based on you know, demonstrated behavior. So that's where we're seeing AI from a marketing perspective is really around identifying who's the right person we should be talking to. That's, that's the, the value that I see in AI on the automotive side. I think where, where AI becomes a, a slippery slope is like when we have when we're interacting with the customer through through AI. Like that to me is a slippery slope. Have you seen or are you seeing any really meaningful implementation of AI on the consumer front? Like I want to know, as a consumer myself, is there something that's going to completely change the car buying experience for me? Or is this all about efficiencies on the back end for dealers to reduce costs and stuff like that? And from my perspective right now, right now, car dealership guy, it's it's on helping the dealerships and workers, right? And the, and the work that we do, whether it's in the dealership or at, at stream or full throttle, it's how, how do we you know, get, get more productivity out of our, our workers and allow them to do more things that are meaningful with the customer experience, right? Like, I, I think that's where it can provide you know, efficiencies with task management and around giving the workers more time to interact with their customers and be more customer facing. Yeah, and 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 that's what I suspected, but I think it's going to be interesting to see. So yeah, we were talking about recently there was a post that went viral about a dealership that was interacting in a um you know, ChatGPT agent interacting with a customer. It didn't quite go the right way. The 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 agent sort of like quote unquote sold a car for $1. That went viral and it went really viral by the way. I think like tens of millions of impressions online. I just heard heard about that, but I don't really know anything about it. But I think that's the that's the the unknown, right? We don't know what can happen with with AI, right? And I know from my experience as a as a consumer, my with big brands, every time AI is used, it's like, can I please talk to a human? Right? I'm not interested in having a conversation. Yeah, yeah with, I, I think with exactly. AI. I think the implementation it needs to be a hundred percent. It's no different than like self-driving cars in that sense where 90% is not good enough. You know what I mean? Like you need 100%. Like I need to, I need to get my exact answer 
for to really be able to replace a human. I've had other guests on the podcast say that like salespeople are in for a rough decade because of AI. And and I think it's still it's gonna take getting to that point where that experience is so much better, or it's at parity where I truly know I can get anything I can from an AI agent, which I think will really bring a new dawn of automotive sales in general, because it's going to make things a lot you know, more efficient and, and very different. Yeah. And I think it still comes back to, this is old school, right? Like we, we used to preach this, we still preach it. It's like, read the lead, right? You need to read what questions the consumer is asking. And we to provide a great experience, we need to answer those those questions. I think that's still impacts our business, right? Where consumer asks a question and we just say, okay, when can you come down on Saturday at 12, 12 o'clock, right? Versus building rapport, um, building trust with the consumer, then asking for the, the appointment after you've done those, those things. So I still think that there's tremendous amount of opportunity just as a, an industry to provide an amazing experience to the consumers. And I think we know that that's really what they want at the end of the day. The T word, my friend, trust. Totally agree on that. David, this has been very, very insightful. I want to I want to thank you for coming on. If anyone wants to learn more about your company, Stream, I see stream, streamcompanies.com. Can you confirm that on your end? And if anyone wants to get in touch with you, is there a preferred way? Yeah, David at streamcompanies.com. David, thank you so much for coming on. This has been great. Thanks, Carlos. Okay. All right. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Please give the podcast a rating, consider subscribing to the show, and check the show notes for links to what we talked about. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you guys next time.